I think it's really difficult to be optimistic in this space. There's a great data point that came out of uh, Silicon Valley Defense Group that if you aggregate the top 100 defense tech startups that are in play today, you include SpaceX, Anderl, Rebellion, all these big companies, the overall DOD revenue that they're actually bringing in is less than one to two billion dollars. What's up? I'm Tyler Sweat. Cue the dramatic music. This is All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soul Fire production. All right, so we get asked all the time, you know, why did we start this podcast? What was the point? And admittedly, I think it was a really simple one. It was hey, there are a bunch of conversations that are happening throughout the ecosystem. They're most of the time being relegated to you know, sitting in a cocktail bar or on the sort of margins of an industry event. And folks that are in the community, that are working to come into the community, that are trying to sort of grow in the community, are often not afforded the opportunity to see those just simple, sort of direct, transparent conversations. So what we wanted to do was kind of demystify the defense tech industry. And for for lack of a better way to explain it, kind of democratize access to some authentic conversations about what it's really like in this industry, what we're thinking about in terms of the future and the different roles, you know, different folks can play. So hopefully it's helped kind of just remove some of the, the obfuscation around how do you get into defense tech? What's it like? What is venture capital? How does the government fit in? We'll go through a little bit, a little highlight reel here of uh, some of the episodes from season one that I think were really awesome, why we enjoyed it, and then uh, do a little teaser on what we're excited about for for season two. So thanks for being part of the journey and uh, let's fucking go. All right. So I think a little bit of this is uh, us taking some rear looking creative license that we had a plan that aligned functionally, but I'll tell everybody we planned this to align functionally. One of the things we clearly got into a whole bunch is, is what is defense tech? What's it trying to solve? Kind of what's working? What's working in the community really, really like? Like the first episode that comes to mind is, is TJ Rao and, you know, making the world a safer place. I think it was episode 12. I think the, the reason this one was great is it just removed all of the glitter and all of the veneer and talked about the challenges, like the actual challenges in the trenches of delivering software to a national security end user, the sales process, the compliance process, the funding process, all of that. So if you're thinking about, hey, what is it like to go get into sales and defense tech? Hey, I think I'll be a good, I want to learn more. I want to meet people, all of that. Go take a look at this one. This will definitely light the path for you. I think it's really difficult to be optimistic in this space. There's a great data point that came out of uh, Silicon Valley Defense Group that if you aggregate the top 100 defense tech startups that are in play today, you include SpaceX, Anderl, Rebellion, all these big companies, the overall DOD revenue that they're actually bringing in is less than one to $2 billion, which is under a quarter of a percent of the entire DOD's budget. And empirically, there really aren't any data points of successful defense tech startups that don't have billionaires as founders yep. and really placement and access 
process that that a normal startup can't build and go execute with. So, I mean, it's really hard to be optimistic, but you balance that with being on the ground and in the trenches and seeing the success. And I think on the optimistic side of the house, that's the key kind of indicator of what might come forward if we can continue to see the congressional and, you know, Pentagon level buy-in for for new technologies. You know, next one we sort of think about kind of on the same guys on the the what is defense tech? How can I better understand it? Uh, Enrique Odi, one of the early ones, episode six, defining and refining sort of tech innovation. I think this one was important because more often than not, the word innovation is thrown around and it's it's almost like a like a safety blanket. You know, if I say I'm innovating, I don't have to actually talk about what I'm doing. I don't have to make it real. I don't have to ever deliver. Enrique an unbelievable career in the government. So he's been one of those customers that a lot of folks are chasing. And now outside is our CTO. He's building and delivering that tech. And it gets at the the reality and the practical application of some of the tenets of innovation and design that we talk about, but how to make it real, you know, as evidenced by, you know, a shipped product in production. The problem we're trying to solve, it is really hard to get commercial tech into the DoD. And I think anyone who's been in the DoD and, you, and you've used a piece of software that's 10 years old, the reason it's 10 years old is nobody wants to go through the process of updating. The accreditation process to update is a nightmare. The commercial company doesn't want to do it, and the government doesn't want to do the paperwork again. They did it once. Hey, you got your product. Be happy with yep. that, soldier. The DoD accrediting official does want to do it again. And in this era of cloud, it's gotten even worse because software is updating so much faster. Yeah. And every person joining the military is using incredible technologies at their house. And they join the military and like, oh my gosh, this is sad. All right. So as we continue to sort of talk about, you know, what is the fast tech? What, how do you play in it? How do you fit? Like the last episode I want to draw everyone to was recent episode 20, Mike from Shift 5 when sort of why data is the new oil. I think it's really important because you'll see a lot of folks across the community talking about the importance of AI, the promise of AI, and everyone's all excited. What you don't see a lot of folks talking about is data structure and clarity and access and portability and all of the the more traditionally like non-sexy kind of aspects. But in the same way that building a car or building a plane or building whatever high-tech machine is cool, like it doesn't work without oil or gasoline and all of that. Same concept. And Mike and the team at Shift 5 do a fantastic job of really just removing a bunch of the confusion around that. So thinking about AI, if you're looking at sensor analytics, data analytics, take a look there and check out Shift 5 as well. You know, so the next functional sort of breakout we went into is, is what is working in defense tech and sort of the startup realm look like? So we got a healthy mix of some investors, some operators, um, just to provide a little bit of insight into to what's it really like from a couple different vantage points. I uh, want to start with, with our for an inaugural episode, uh, Sam Gregg, call sign Chubbs from Silicon Valley Defense Group. I think that was interesting because Sam brings a background where he's come up through the Navy, helped stand up Naval X, early days of DIU, and a lot of those government innovation shops. And then also spends his time on the outside working with private capital allocators while being the executive director at Silicon Valley Defense Group. So, unique positioning to see across. You know, if you were to clause Vitsy in it, almost like a holy trinity of the private tech, the gov, and sort of that nonprofit slash capital allocator in the middle. Um, really interesting lens that Sam is able to see the world through. Uh, so highly recommend taking a look at that. And then a shameless plug for 
the Silicon Valley Defense Group that's out there doing great work, trying to convene a bunch of these different groups across the community so that meaningful conversations and relationships can happen so we can drive change in the defense industry. Next one we look at on, on really understanding defense tech was our second episode with James Cross. James really needs no introduction, has had an amazing career at Franklin Templeton, has been an aerospace and defense analyst for you know decades, and has seen a bunch of the change and the hype over the years. I think is really able to articulate how to think about fads and tech priorities and just the veracity of certain business models in the industry. So if you're looking for for a true sort of market perspective, definitely take a look at James's episode and also take a look at some of the work they're doing at Franklin Templeton as well. It's pretty tremendous in the Black Horse Fund. Number one thing is for the first time since this trend started again in 15, the appropriators and the authorizers are aligned. We have never had that. This is a magical moment. And my message to all my VC friends who are launching national resilience, economic resilience, global resilience, national security funds. One, if you're going to do business with the DOD, you got to support the mission, the veterans and war fighters. Two, this is a unique business domain. There are meetings that you might want to get into, but when you have your for-profit hat on, you can't get into those meetings. So three, maybe you need a partner. All right. So continuing on kind of the, the what's it like in defense tech. Went a little bit different direction with episode four and brought in Dylan Mullins and Sarah Hess. Talk a little bit about the sort of human capital side of it, the career journey side of it. Of Hey, what's it like? You know, for Dylan is sort of a new grad coming in. For Sarah as kind of a mid-career professional, what is it like actually working in defense tech, kind of figuring it out? Everything from the crazy amount of acronyms to you know, the culture of folks who've served together before and how sometimes you feel like an outsider and trying to fit in. Um, So if you're early in the career, if you're thinking about sort of what does career path kind of look like, definitely check that out. And then feel free to find Sarah and Dylan on LinkedIn. Uh, They're great advocates and great sort of mentors for folks that are coming into the community as well. All right. So we go from early career to a little bit later career here. Uh, Episode 13, aptly titled, The Reality of Working for a Startup. Chip Colbert, longtime friend, longtime confidant and Siglieri. I think we do the same for each other. I think Chip, much like TJ did, I think Chip has a perspective that just removes a lot of the glitter. Super passionate about national security, super passionate about tech, but also a realist that, like, hey, it's hard. And there are days that are going to suck. And you're going to get way more no's than yeses. You're going to lose way more deals than you win. And it's, it's almost like being a quarterback. Where, you know, the best quarterbacks, we always talk about the ability to forget the last throw, right? It's always about the next throw. You just delete the tape of the last throw. So if you're looking sales at scale, policy, partnerships, and really just understanding what is it like in the trenches at a bunch of different defense tech companies, take a look at this episode with Chip. Next one is uh, is a fan favorite. Navigating the shadows of the valley of death with Paul Puckett, right? Paul needs no introduction. He's a force of nature. Pivotal, Army ECMA, Clarity, longtime admirer of his, honestly, and really enjoy this episode for sure. And also just anytime I get to listen to Paul, I find that Paul is able to articulate probably more than I'll ever be able to learn about how to think about weaving together 
policy and people and security and technology and really kind of bring these disparate puzzle pieces together to create capability at scale and then help deliver them so they're adopted. Not just sort of sending tech out, hoping it gets transitioned, but making sure it gets to where it needs to go and it's stable. It's a masterclass in just the realities of building and delivering tech in the national security community. As you become a larger and larger organization, you start to get tunnel vision of what it is that you're doing. Your loss of context of where you are in the value stream, like whether you're a core role or supporting role, whether you're even needed at all, that's when you start to insulate. And that's when you start to draw metrics that only measure your little world. And therefore, as long as you did your thing, everything is fine. I just think it's a flaw of large organizations as they become too big. And I don't think it's anyone's fault along the way. I just think it's over time you've atrophied and you lost the point of any of us existing. And then going to round out here, episode 15, I think one of my favorite, because it went in a really different direction than I think I thought it was going to go with Alexis Spinell. Uh, Alexis has had an unbelievable career, right? USAID chief and chief innovation officer, the time at Google, you know, going back into government to do great things. Um, but the conversation really moved into building teams, sort of the interpersonal and the humans behind a lot of sort of the corporate landscape and the tech, and just some really, really insightful philosophies on how to deal with people, on how to engage, grow, mentor, sort of retain really top-tier talent. Um, So if you're thinking about not just what is it like working in a defense tech company, But how do I think about sort of the human element on building and scaling and maintaining great teams? Definitely check out what Alexis had to share here. All right. So the next next sort of functional breakdown we've got is what's it like to work with? What's it like to work for around the government? I think everyone looks at the government like it's this big, scary, big, hairy, sort of audacious thing. Um, So it's a great episode to kind of break that down and let folks really see Maybe behind the curtain a little bit. I had the first, you know, episode three, accelerating tech transition with uh, with Mikey Moreno, right? So Mike's had an unreal career. He's done cool guy stuff in the IC. He's done cool guy stuff at AWS. Mike's seen, I think, the the very operational reality inside the government, and Mike's also seen, hey, we're the big cloud provider shipping tech at like a global scale. And if you could think about a spectrum, those are probably the opposite ends of a scale and velocity spectrum. And Mike's ability to sort of weave those two together and talk about the practical application of big tech and tactical operations is a really real masterclass in how to think about delivering outcomes for the national security community. My sort of journey from government into tech started with the Offset Symposium that you all hosted in 2018. That was the first event that I went to that brought together venture capital, national security, government folks, and tech. And that kind of opened my eyes and I can draw a straight line from that event to where I am today. All right, so we're going to pivot a little bit from what's it like building tech uh, to the other side of the coin that nobody, nobody talks about. And really, you don't see a ton of folks trying to change the way the government buys. We got Bonnie Evangelista coming out of CDAO, uh, absolute trailblazer in how we're thinking about sort of not to not to use a kind of a buzz term, but like flattening the procurement kill chain. And Bonnie and the team at Tradewinds finding new ways 
to meet startups and commercial tech where they are and to align behaviors and requirements in a way that those tech companies are going to be comfortable with, familiar with, and understand, absolutely changing the game over at CDAO. So if you're trying to get an idea of the art of the possible for a procurement shop, for a government organization on how they buy, how they engage with and communicate with sort of that commercial tech, private sector, definitely check out episode nine with Bonnie. All right. So we've talked about what's it look like to build technology. How do we think about policy? How do we think about buying? How do we think about even jumpstarting? What does, what does behavioral change, cultural change look like at that local level? And that's where we've got Lauren Hansen, Armand Diaz coming in, sharing her experience from Eagle Works and over at the 18th Airborne Corps on building innovation organizations at that tactical sign up, real foundational cultural level. And what that means in terms of creating adoption, creating buy-in, and then ultimately going and scaling those into the force. I think Lauren's had an unbelievably unique career and had an ability to drive absolutely outsized change as a junior officer in the Army. Um, and this was an absolute just masterclass in practical innovation and making sure there's outcomes. We have this propensity as leaders that we're the ones coming up with ideas. Recognize that the key to unlocking the talent within your organization so that they're the ones coming up with the idea. And so I think that's really the key to retention. We had several soldiers who came into EagleWorks or participated in the core innovation program, ended up staying in longer because they felt heard, right? And that was my favorite part of the job at EagleWorks is soldiers coming in and you could just see in their eyes, they're just exasperated because they have all of this talent and capacity and they see the problem and they see a way forward, but they don't have the tools. And we feel so much more fulfilled when we have networks like that. Taking a little bit of the defense tech veneer off and looking at broader public sector tech, super excited to be able to look back and talk about episode five, where it was demystifying the IRS with Molly Kane, Harrison Smith, talk about a push for digitalization. What does sort of making an uncool organization cool again to to maybe take a little bit of creative license? What does that look like? And how can an organization that's seen as a very industrial age, very old school, hey, sign your form with ink and stamp it and come in and hand it to the mail carrier and bring that into sort of the digital kind of knowledge age? Um, Really interesting tech-driven organizational transformation episode. Please take a look. Last one that sort of fits in the what's it like to work with government. One of my good friends, we've worked together off and on for the better part of a decade. That's Mike Bergen from Go Tennis. We're talking about cheat codes. And Mike does a really, really good job of helping to identify attributes that companies can look for as they're thinking about partners and customers and advocates and buyers and users throughout the government that will allow you to accelerate that process because you're sort of thinking, three, four, five steps ahead and bringing that back into today's decision-making. So if you're looking to scale a product, scale a service inside government, Mike absolutely delivers a perfect breakdown how to think about that and how to find ways to get levers into the process for you. All right, next little batch here. We've got sort of like emerging tech awareness. What does it mean for national security? Easy place to start is with BVR. You know, Ben Van Roo over at Yurt's AI, thinking about the future of AI. And I think it was a fascinating conversation because we took the buzzwords out. We didn't talk about sort of the marketing side of it. 
And it was really understanding sort of at a functional and foundational level. What does this mean? How should folks be thinking about it? And what type of outcomes can it drive? So if you're thinking about LLMs and trying to understand any of that sort of hype curve right now, go take a look at what Yurtz is working on and listen to BVR's episode. An observation that I had that actually pushed us closer to national security was other regulated industries going to JP, going to USB, going to any major bank and trying to show the promise of our technology was cool, but bankers also are making money right now. They want technology right now. Yeah. And then, if you're lucky, then you go through all the procurement records. So you talk about AI with, with Ben Van Roo before. Take the other side of that and think about the data. What's the piping? How do we think about sort of machine learning at a foundational level? And what are the picks and shovels required? For us to be able to deliver that capability at scale. Uh, that's Brian Raymond at Unstructured. Talk about how we bring data to life, making it accessible, providing abilities for interoperability and connectivity between other systems. And again, a, a founder-led conversation that is about the practical realities of machine learning and what is real and what is hype and how to think about it. Um, so if, again, if you're... If you're looking at machine learning, if you're thinking about LLMs, if you're thinking about scaling artificial intelligence, absolutely take a look at what Brian and the team at Unstructured are working on and take a listen to episode 11. All right. So we go a little international here with episode 14 and Dave Ferris, everyone's favorite Canadian on building supply chain resiliency. And Dave sits over there, he's working with Interos. Uh, and Interos has been doing a bunch of really interesting supply chain stuff. But I think aside from that, the neat part here was talking about sort of U.S. government attitudes towards supply chain before COVID and then what COVID did to sort of the knowledge of supply chains. And I think the running joke Dave always tells is, yeah, hey, I don't think anyone understood what a supply chain was until COVID happened and those supply chains were impacted. So it's a really interesting story of someone who was right in the middle of a huge sort of mind shift for the United States government. And one of, the, one of the weirdest times I think we've had during our lifetime. And then sort of wrapping up on, on emerging tech and what does it mean? We go all the way into the, into the quantum realm here with Jen Savada and Sandbox. I mean, Jen is a force of absolute nature, right? The work that Sandbox is doing is bleeding edge. And I think the ability to sit down and talk about quantum government contracting, R&D, O&M, and really, how does this all fit together is a must listen for folks that are thinking about real forward-leaning technology and pushing the envelope on sort of over-the-horizon capability. It's been a wild ride because emerging tech is one of those things that people are really interested in, but they have no idea what it is or how to buy it. So over the last year and a half, it's been an education process in what the technology really is, what's available today versus what's available in 20 years from now, and who the real players are, and also informing what our adversaries are doing. Because there's a lot going on in the emerging tech world that people aren't necessarily aware of. All right. So as we sort of wrap on, on sort of the functional grouping here, last one is sort of what's the outlook? How do we look forward? What's 2024 and beyond? Start this one international as well. Paul Vingo of Vindu out of the UK. And as we're looking at next conflict of near-peer competition, of different sort of adversaries, 
like we all go to war together. We have historically built technology together and thought about interoperability from day one. Has had a tremendous career through the army and the intelligence community and private sector. We have a great conversation about what does weaving bridges together look like at a technical policy and programmatic level? How should we be thinking about partnerships and allies? So if you're thinking about AUKUS, about EU, about any NATO, any of that, absolutely check out what Paul and the Vindu team are doing and take a listen to episode 16. Success, I think, comes from having a global perspective rather than a American business model. The American operating model works everywhere else. Shocking that that doesn't work. It is a growth mindset that has a recognition that if you're going to be a global company, then you put your resources, you put your efforts in the best place globally to generate success. And that means being open to different approaches and different ideas. It also acknowledges that every country is a proud organization in their own right and presumably also has responsibilities to their own citizens and their own governments have those responsibilities. It sometimes comes as a surprise to people and you say, well, why would we buy from an American company when there's a British company that's got a similar, if not worse, product? You know, the upside for the UK is the corporation tax, the income tax, the employee security, the growth of the sovereign capability. Well, as soon as people get their head around that other countries have that sovereign desire, then a global thinking organization or global thinking company can actually tap into that and, and benefit by playing to that. And the last one we're talking about here is... Uh the UFOs and sort of sci-fi and beyond. And it's Ron Gula. I mean, Ron, again, any introduction I would give him or overview would be a disservice. Helped build Tenable into the, the publicly traded company it is. Ron and Cindy do absolutely amazing stuff at Gula Tech Adventures. And this is one of those conversations where I sat down and thought we were going to talk about, hey, what's it look like to be a, a defense tech investor? And we sort of got into like the UFOs and sharks with laser beams. And if you just want to riff on like wicked smart human sharing his thoughts about sort of what does the future look like, Ron does that just tremendously on display in this episode. So please check it out. And then, all right, look, as we wrap up season one, I mean, a huge thanks. I think this was a, a way more popular and successful podcast than I admittedly had thought it was going to be in the beginning. But I'll share a little bit of what I'm excited for coming into season two. So as we proved that, and we sort of validated that, hey, there's there's a demand for, for real authentic conversations, we're going to bring that up a level. And we're going to have tech-specific conversations and bring in Enrique here and there to help. We're going to be in the sales bullpen. And what does it actually look like? So to build with Enrique, to sell with TJ, and bring in different companies and different leaders. And then we're going to get Chrissy McGarry, who's absolutely the heartbeat of Second Front to be bringing other leaders in to talk about the people behind the tech. So I want to make sure that for season two, regardless of where you sit in an organization, there's a stream of content here for you. There's ways for you to learn. And we're sort of meeting you where you are. And then I'll still be here. Don't you worry. We'll be doing some awesome conversations with CEOs, with investors, with government officials. I'm just shedding light on this big, complicated market called defense tech. So thanks for hanging out. It's been an awesome journey and couldn't be more excited for season two, guys. Thanks. Wow, look at you. You made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive-aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird. <laughs>